Welcome to the Fred Tech Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Mendoza, and with me is my co-host, Mark Walker. And thanks to Fitzy.org at Root for hosting us. Root is a one-stop public-private partnership to jumpstart new businesses and energize innovation in Frederick County. Dig deep, cultivate tomorrow. Thanks, Mark. So today uh, is going to be our first topic for this uh, this podcast recording. I'm pretty excited because we're talking about DevOps. Something that I've a term I've heard over the years, and I don't I haven't necessarily done, but you know I've been very interested in it. You know, have you heard anything about it, Mark? About DevOps? Yeah, I've been reading about it for several years. Right, you know? right. Yeah, <laughs> and, it, it's a relatively yeah. new concept, but we were lucky to have two guests: yeah. uh, Tim Evans from Information Management Services Inc. And Daniel Roberts from Ion Channel, which is not the TV channel, uh, but they're both DevOps engineers that came on the show and talk a little bit about what they do, you know, ranging from a small startup to a large organization, how DevOps fits into their day-to-day operations. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. Before we get into the interview, it's good for the listener to think, okay, what is your definition of DevOps? Right. And then take in the conversation right. and see what you think afterwards. Right. I had my definition and, you know. I think I, everybody I them, does. So. <laughs> so, yeah. So, check it out. Um, I had fun. Mark, I know you had fun talking about this stuff. Um, it's it's definitely long, but uh, worth it. So, check it out, guys. Today we have uh, two different guests, a little different. We're going a little off uh, format here. We have Tim. Hi. Uh, My name is Tim Evans. I am a DevOps engineer, I guess I'll call myself. Um, I started off as a Java developer, and I moved into systems uh, systems administration and DevOps. And um, that's what I've been doing for the past uh, few years, and that, that brings me here. Perfect. Also with us, we have Daniel, right? Hey, so uh, I'm Daniel Roberts. I'm also a DevOps engineer, uh, falling under that interesting label. Um, (laughs) I started out doing kind of like help desk IT stuff in the Windows admin side of stuff Mm -hmm. um, and transitioned through doing more operations stuff in the Linux background, and now I'm actually doing more development stuff. Very good. Awesome. So they both have both development and operations experience to bring to the DevOps operation that they currently are in. Right, yeah. This will be a good conversation. And if you haven't figured out, (laughs) what are we talking about today? DevOps, right? DevOps. Yeah. Dude, this is a term I've heard over the years of my career, and I'm even wondering if I probably had some experience in it. Now, I'm not a DevOps engineer by title or anything like that. I have been a software engineer for many years, and to me, when I think about DevOps, right, I think about is somebody who would create processes or programs, whatever it may be, to streamline, let's say, my development from initial development to production, right? Is that, is that am I getting close? Is that something? I, I like that, but I, I'd like to make it a little simpler, actually. Okay. Um, I would like to define DevOps as making your developers do operations, End of story. Done. And then outside of that, or in addition to that, we have to look at how are we going to accomplish that. And um, and that's really what we've been looking at at my company is how can we get our developers to take care of their own operations. Because... Everyone, Sounds like a, if you code it, you own it. Yeah, exactly. Ah, exactly. Okay, yeah. so, yeah. so, yeah. so that's what it comes down to yeah. because we we all we've all experienced this time when someone has written uh, written <laughs> someone has written their spaghetti code and they hand it to you and they say, okay, run this, and you say, okay, and and you know you know what happens first is it doesn't it doesn't run. The right. debugger is um, very very <laughs> fluent. <actually>. Oh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and so. So it's really about you own your product from beginning to end. Yeah. And um, what, what we've been doing a lot is working in Docker to facilitate that. So we have, um, we have some OpenShift clusters. It's a Red Hat's um, kind of wrapper around Kubernetes, if, you, if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and Docker, for people who don't understand what it is, it's, it's a pretty neat little thing from AWS, right? You can create your own environment 
Uh, I mean, so so Docker is not from AWS, as far as I'm aware. Oh shit! Um, <laughs> yeah, they're their own company. They they definitely AWS is definitely doing a lot of Docker stuff these days. But um, Docker, I believe, is its own thing. Docker.io is their website. Ah, right. um, and so basically, what it is is. If you're familiar with LXC, it's uh, Linux containers. Mm-hmm. All it really is is um, uh, oh man, if we're gonna get into the technology, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna get deep quick. But basically, it is um, C groups. They're called, which is basically a way of you know you run you run your one process and it'll spawn off some other processes, but it all falls under the umbrella of the first process, and so it kind of has like. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to use a, the, maybe a process tree is not the way to explain it. Well, but you're it, kind of in it, that it's neighborhood. Very, very much, very yeah. much, very much. Yeah. Um, and then, and then it goes a step further, uh, and and it can it sets up its own underlying network, and so you can fire up multiple processes, and those processes have their own internal network with their own IPs, just like you're used Almost to all of that is, is um, uh, software defined. Yeah, um, all uh, of it is yeah. software defined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think most of it is using standard Linux things like IP tables and, and things like that. And it, so it's really just a, a construct in the kernel to say, all right, let's run something um, and it looks like a server. It, it looks like a virtual machine, except it doesn't have its own RAM. It doesn't have its own kernel. It doesn't really have anything. It only has the running application inside of it. I think, does that make sense it's, to you? <laughs> Did I say that right? It's close. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, I knew I'd get something wrong. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was on AWS. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. So we, we run Docker in production. We're on mm-hmm. AWS uh, ECS. We're not using Kubernetes yet, um, but we're, we are looking at it pretty thoroughly. Um, but for, for Docker, you actually can specify like memory limits and right. stuff like that. Right. Um, but there's also the whole thing of you have shared um, shared layers. So with the link with the link file system, you can actually say, okay, hey, I have a common base layer of like CentOS. And then, oh, I have this thing, I have this thing, I have this thing. Instead of having to replicate that out, they all share the same kind of like host architecture. And so it's a it's instead of having, you know, separate minimal VMs, you can actually have more of like a shared architecture all the way up to where then, okay, hey, this is different. We're going to split that out. Do you want to talk more about shared architecture? You're talking about um, pro- kernel processes that these different containers are I'm sharing. I'm not qualified to talk about meant? that at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I thought that's where you were going. Right. I, I, can, I, can, I can add a little to this maybe. Um, it's been described to me, and, and he took it He took it to Docker, and I totally forgot to actually go to Docker. <laughs> I was going with the underlying L, uh, LXC. Okay. Docker is not a whole lot more than a wrapper around LXC. For some listeners who don't know, uh, define LXC. Well, LXC so we is what I was just talking about. That's all those things mm-hmm. with the with the Linux C groups and, mm-hmm. the, uh, and the software-defined networks and things like that. Um, LXC creates these containers... Um, that look kind of like VMs but aren't, mm-hmm. that can talk to each other and run your application, and they can bind ports on the host and things like that. Um, and then Docker is a really easy way of helping you control LXC, but it adds in the things like the, the, uh, the layered file system and things like that. It's been described to me, um, and, and this, this isn't totally accurate. It, the analogy falls short pretty quickly, but it's been described to me as... Uh, like Git for a file system. So, see, it falls short pretty yeah, quickly, I mean, like, but it I, has similarities. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like if, if you just need a really quick reference word, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it will fall apart really quickly. Yeah. Um, so, so like you were saying, you can take your your base of like CentOS or or um, we've been using Alpine Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fantastic. It's super small. It's like five megabytes, um, and it helps keep your containers really small unless you're running Java in them, in which case they will never be small. Um, you got more problems to address there. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so basically you take your, your, your base image, um, and that's what we refer to these things um, before we create containers from them as an image. Um, you create your base image, so your, your, your raw operating system, and then you put your applications you want to run on top of that. And basically, 
you can do it any way you want to do it. You can run, if you have your whole system of like six different applications that all interact with each other, you can pack them all into one Docker container and run them that way. But they tell you not to. Okay. Because that's not, they want, they tell you to be more modular than that. Right. They're taking the advantage of right. containers. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. exactly. It's not designed for that. Containers that, right. that sounds more right. like what a VM would be made for, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so what we do, um, especially in my work, we have, see, we do, we do all of our stuff in Java. So we're, we're in that, uh, that realm anyway, but, um, so we pack we pack our application server, which is just a straight Java um, application, into one container, and then we've got some other um, supplementary things. We've got a um, a web. We have a web application that that is a front end, an alternative front end. We're actually, I should say, our our application. The core of our application is a Java server and a, and a matching Java client. It's, a, it's an old school client server architecture. And I mean, when I say Java client, I do mean Java front end. You download a jar and run it. Um, I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> oh, not many people have. You did have. say old school. It is old school. Um, but it's also a very old yeah. project. Right. It's not, it's not. How you know, do you escape the legacy code you already have in there? That's one of the reasons you exactly. do it that way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, you know, we're, we're doing a lot to get modern now, mm. but, um, you know, we're, we're stuck with what we have. And so now funding to replace anything isn't really there right so, so now that you guys utilize docker a lot right in your day-to-day but it's not necessarily something that's required in devops no right? not at all not at all um and and, and i i talk a lot please feel free to interrupt me <laughs> <laughs> um, we're trying to retrace the phoenix project here you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's a fantastic book yes though. it is yes, fantastic it is. book <laughs> Um, highly recommended to anyone listening. The Phoenix Project is fantastic, and it's still current. Too, um, oh, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be one of those timeless things. It's just like it'll be the year three thousand, and they'll be looking back and they'll it's be like, "Man, there's yeah. this old book. It's like I think they call it the Bible, but it was originally called <laughs> the Phoenix Project." Like <laughs> also, if you, if you follow any of this stuff around, like Gene Kim and any of those guys, they're always right. also right. talking about the goal, which was the book right around lean manufacturing back in like the seventies or eighties, right? Right. Which yeah. so you know and that's I think didn't in in the Phoenix project, didn't they have the guy read the goal? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um and so like they're referencing stuff even further back. Right. So it's just gonna right. be this continual skip hop. Right, right. Like, there'll there'll be another one in the future that references the Phoenix project right. and it'll keep going <laughs> it'll down. Keep going, yep. Um but yeah, anyway, so the majority of our work is actually not in Docker. Um we're moving toward Docker and we have all of our stuff containerized and put into Docker. And we can run it that way, but the majority of our actual running applications are, are old school. Again, I'm going to keep saying that old school. We are we have build scripts that we manually run, and it builds it and it deploys it to our production servers, and we go onto the production server and start it up. Right. And um, and so that's that's the majority of what we actually do. And so there, not using Docker, it's all about scripting. Uh, for us, at least. Okay. What's What's funny is I'm actually coming from the exact opposite side <laughs> of, the, of the stuff. So, like, we use Docker for all of our local testing. We have automated build scripts for production. Um, we actually, so you were talking about, like, using your, your base layer mm-hmm. of, like, CentOS or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a way you can use no-op layers or scratch images. Right. And then we are we're running uh, Golang, and so we actually compile our binaries, drop the binary into Docker along with, like, say, a server cert or something and deploy that. So we have Docker images that are like 100, 100 megs, less than that. Um, but, right, yeah. The so, dream. <laughs> <laughs> something for you to look forward to. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, serious containerization here. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But, it, it, you know, it allows you to have, like, very, you know, cut down on, on network mm-hmm. uh, bandwidth issues and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and the other thing is that, like, we, we have a microservice platform. So for a local dev, like they're, you know, they want to test something but it interacts with four or five different services, they can use a Docker Compose file to spin up a whole bunch of containers locally that matches all of our production environment. They all link together locally and then he can run all of his, he or she can run all of their tests and 
like test their stuff there right and not have to wait for the entire development cycle of like oh hey i'm gonna push it to testing and then oh hey it broke and it's friday at six i'm gonna go to the bar like they don't have to do any of that and that's Mm -hmm. the stuff i heard about docker in terms of the benefits there Mm -hmm. so i could spin up my own environment so i can do my own internal testing which matches production environment right and you can do that on your local machine it doesn't even have to be a development server right you can do it on your you can do it on your laptop you can do it right here on your laptop right it's it's great that's great. Which is the portability part, which is one of the advantages, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Another another thing that my company is really excited about with Docker is um, the the testing. When you test a Docker image, you then take that same image and deploy it to production. So you're not building and testing your your build, right. and then building and and redeploying. Deploying, right. You are building. Testing and deploying what you tested. Retested, yeah. And that's so something that's really great. Yeah, well, I've done it in my company as well. I'm not using Docker, but it's it, the code that we test is the code that we're pushing out mm-hmm. because you, you want it to be synonymous of what, hey, right. this is what I've tested. This is what's out in production. If there's an issue on there, roll it back. Let's see what, what we can fix before we push it back out. And the whole concept of push fast and push often, right? The more I push, the less likely this push is going to cause a major issue, right? There might be something minor, but... You know, and you're shortening the feedback cycle. Yep, you're right. learning more quickly right. what what you need to fix. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you guys earlier you mentioned you you said uh, DevOps right is for developers to take control of operations right. So mm-hmm. does that mean as a developer myself when you know I make a new feature or bug fix whatever it is. Um, it goes through the cycle, gets I, I vet it, you know, do the happy path testing like all developers do, right? <laughs> hey, it worked in my machine, right? right. <laughs> and then send it off to QA, QA vets it, and everything is good to go. You know, we merge it up to release, get tested again, and then push it out. Is that DevOps right there? I facilitate the push all the way through to production? That sounds a bit siloed, where, like, you're doing a code handoff to QA of, like, hey, so... Mm-hmm. I wrote this awesome stuff, and it it passes my test. So go run it against whatever test you have. Okay, but I mean they're going through regression testing and all they the are, crazy yeah. stuff. Right. Um, Again, I went happy path testing. Right. Yeah. You <laughs> one equals one. A search remove done. All right, we're good. And then yeah, let's push into production on a Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like for us, it's it's less about like the concept of. Of operations because there are some companies that be like, oh, well, hey, we're DevOps because we just have one team of developers and operations people. Okay. And all right, we're good, done. And they don't implement any of the other stuff that allows developers or just people in general to take ownership of their code, which are automated testing cycles, like mm. continuous integration, continuous deployment pipelines, yeah. everything like that. Okay. So I would be heavily involved in the automation testing as well as other QA testing, right? Yeah. In that process. Okay. Basically, like for, for us, we, we don't, again, we're like a 10-person company. So it's okay. very much a everyone needs to be able to both match the standards that we set for our own code, mm-hmm. like internally, and also not be blocked by someone not being in the office or someone being busy because we're all just jumping around throwing hats against each other. Um, and so to do that, like everything has to be automated. And so like the, the, our typical workflow is like I, um, I check out a branch on a project. I do all my local stuff, um, commit it. When it goes back up to, we use Travis CI. When it goes back up to Travis CI, like the automated checks will come off and say, hey, this passed or oh, it failed. Okay. And it'll actually try to build it up there too. Okay. Um, if it's passed, I then open up a PR. Somebody else has to approve my PR for it to go through to testing, but it'll also run more tests there. When the PR is merged, it'll run more tests again. And if it, if it actually deploys onto the branch and fails, it just does an automatic rollback. And then it comes right back to me as the development loop. Okay. And then throughout the whole process, you're focused on that thing going through to production mm-hmm. and making it through. Once it's through, you're on to your next. Yeah. Next so we, we follow, you know, Kanban batch of one, mm-hmm. size of one, right? So if I take a task, I'm focused on that task. And until it goes into production and a customer is using my feature or it's customer facing, that task is not done. Okay. Because what you don't want to do is, you know, oh, hey, I, did, I, I created a PR. I'm on to the next thing. And then you do that two or three times, and it's like, oh, hey, I have an issue with this code that you worked on, like, yesterday. And I've been there myself, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's out testing, and I'm doing something else, and then it comes back. because Right, an and then you got to be like, all right, what was I doing? Where was I working? Right. Let me, yeah. let me reconstructing your state of exactly. mind. Exactly, you know? yeah. yeah. Right, right. Much yeah. harder. Yeah. 
Okay, that's nice. So it, that sounds like something that works can work very well on a small team. I mean, have you guys... I can I can tell you that that doesn't work as well on a big team, and that's exactly where I was going. I was right. like, in a big team, it seems that there has to be more, kind of more handoffs. I How do you know it plays well with the rest of the code? With the, that's already there. That's part of that. Well, there's there's that regression testing yeah, that has to right. come in. There's play. a lot of testing that goes on. So we have um, a, a much larger than than ten person company, the, a little bit bigger than two person team. We or two are teams. Yeah, yeah, we are probably pushing. 300 in our office. Wow. Maybe not in our office. I forget what the numbers are exactly. But, okay, so a pretty sizable team. Yeah, a few yeah. hundred people, less than 500, certainly more than 200. Right. Um, and a large portion of those are on um, on this actual project that I started off on and I'm now doing the DevOps for. Um, and so what happens with us, we're also, we deal with um, the government. We have some government contracts and um, as a matter of fact, um, the government, I believe, owns the code base. Um, so we have a lot of things to deal with that I'm guessing you probably don't have to deal with as far as government standards. and. Yeah. Um, yeah there's, there's, so, there's, there's, there's a lot of bureaucracy that we don't have to deal with. Right. right. And so we have um, an entire team dedicated to testing. Okay. An entire team. Because if our developers were doing anything more than automated testing, they'd never get anything done. Um, we have customers that I am not at liberty to to name that have specific feature requests that they send us, and they say, "Look, in the next in the next version of your product, we want to see." This mm -hmm. and we put a small group of developers that are probably the size of your company <laughs> on this feature for this one customer, mm -hmm. and we still have to get all of the stuff for all of our other customers out the door. So, for those teams, are they just made up of developers, or do you guys have like we um, have a few? We have a few different types of people. We have a we have a whole team of DevOps people okay. who. Um, I think I'm the only one on the team that ever was an actual developer, but we have some DBAs and um, and a few uh, manager types on our team. And we have a, a big team of developers and a big team of... Um, I guess they're like customer uh, customer support people. Yeah, customer support people. And you got you guys and all work very integrated together. We all interact okay. a lot. There's, you know, if there's a day where I don't talk to a developer or I don't talk to a customer support person, it's a weird day. Okay, um, it's happened, but it's a weird day. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, there's there's a lot of like checks and balances in there for us. Um, and, and I think this a lot of this comes back to that we are still doing things old school. You're right. Um, you're still in the transition phase, right? Yeah, yeah but, absolutely. But before you go even deeper, right, I, I'm a bit a little confused now because as I was describing to Daniel about, you know, your, your small team and how you guys are handling, you know, you, you take a task and you go from development to production, right? right? And on my side, my experience is I've done that, but I would hand off like QA wait for them to come back. And as I'm waiting, I will work on a different task and I'll keep going that, that way. Now you have to do that. And so you're doing that, but you're still having DevOps come into that, right? Mm -hmm. How? So what we're doing, and, and so like I said, we have a DevOps team, mm -hmm. right? And so our coders, the ones that strictly code, they code, they hand off the issue, they move on to another one. Now that that issue, that 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 code that they worked on goes first through our continuous uh, to continuous integration. Mm -hmm. we, we use um, Jenkins for all of our CI okay. stuff. And so it runs through a battery of tests that takes a couple of hours per commit. Okay. Um, and we do it now when I say it, it runs a couple of hours per commit, it does that multiple times simultaneously because we have like I said we have we have customers that that ask for specific features 
So we have feature branches yeah. for those customers. So there's a lot of different versions of our software out there. And we've have the last the last I checked, we had 60 different deploy. I think we just hit 60 deploy targets wow. for deploying to servers for customers. Um, so that those are we I think we have typically three tiers per customer. Okay. So you're talking 20 customers, including our shared environment where a lot of our customers come together. Do you have any one person or one group that watches over all the merges that have to happen? We have, we have a group that does that. Does the that manager happen? types, there's a, there's a, a group of managers yeah. that I kind of left out earlier, mm -hmm. but we had, it's, I'm going to call them a compliance team because that's probably the best way to describe them. Um, there's probably, two or three people that really are at the top of that, that go through and we use a, an issue, uh, issue tracking system called Squish. And so they literally will sit there all day and they'll go through ticket by ticket and look through all of them, make sure that they've gone through the entire life cycle, make sure that all the testing came back clean and all this stuff. And, you know, we're talking about 20 branches for customers plus the additional branches that like say we don't want it on anyone's main branch like we're not we're not necessarily ready to deploy this yet so right. we spin off another branch do all of our development of development there once we're ready to put it through the pipeline because we have our develop branch we have a validation branch which okay. is where a lot of the um a lot of the uh on I, I just i just used this word um, compliance. That's okay. where all the compliance testing is done. Uh, okay. Automated testing is going on all the all time. time. Okay. Um, so we've got our develop, we've got our validation, we've got our UAT, our beta. Um, that's the first customer facing branch, and then and then production. So that's we four, have, that's four different we have four tiers. Yeah, You're describing a degree of complexity. So uh, you, yeah, he, he's not. Yes, I am. Yeah. So have you ever actually like looked at like your Git flow branch, like graphing to see? How <laughs> that, that, that's that. has to be a work of art. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh wow. So I have uh, actually, and so that um, we we use Eclipse to do all of our development, and there's that that Git view in, and I have expanded that out to a full view and. You don't want to look at it. <laughs> you don't want to look at it. So what we what we do is we look at it issue by issue. We try not to look at that actual view too much. Um, what's worse than that, though, is that our project is so big and so old at this point um, that and I don't mean old as in like it's you know it's on its last legs, but like it's it's mature. It's been around a while. Um, when you look at our our class diagram. And we don't we don't maintain a class diagram anymore. It's just you can't do it. You can't do it. And so you can have Eclipse generate a class diagram. It doesn't fit on your screen. It doesn't fit on one of those poster printer papers. It doesn't fit anywhere. Wow. You cannot look at it. As a matter of fact, last time I tried generating one, Eclipse crashed. I was I, yeah. that was my assumption. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would have yeah, it would crash. Um, it's it's big. <laughs> it's really big, and with all of the customizations for all the all of the customers, it's just insane. So, so yes, we do have um, a lot of DevOps, and we have basically our whole team doing at least parts of it. And the DevOps side of of your like what you guys are doing is are you facilitating that things are flowing. Freely into those different um, tiers per se. We're doing we're doing our best with that. Yeah, um, okay. people will commit, and those commits go automatically to our our first phase of testing. Um, we have um, we have some unit tests, we have some integration tests, and then we also have manual tests, which our uh, our support staff do. Mm -hmm. That's that's the main part where they come in. Sure, it passes the um, the test, the automated test, but does it actually do what the customer wants it to do? Right. Let me push the buttons and see. Right. Um, and and then that's that's really all of our testing, and but we're testing on all four of those tiers all the time. All the time right. Every commit gets tested wherever that commit is. So if we commit something on our UAT branch. 
on Monday, it merges down into the validation branch and then back down into the, into the develop branch and testing begins. <laughs> and so Mondays can be really hectic for the, for the testing. We don't actually have to deal with it because most of it's automated, mm -hmm. but, um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of testing that goes on, and um, sometimes our servers can't actually handle it all. Daniel, how many different tiers do you guys have? Not, I'm assuming not that many, right? I, I manage four <laughs> different like production deployment environments Okay. with like 60 microservices in each. So not Did you say 60? 60 in each. Yeah. Okay, so we don't have nearly the, many, the amount of services that you have, so that's good at least. Yeah, but I mean the thing is, is that I, my workload's a little full right now, but mm -hmm. I can actually functionally manage those environments right and it's not like oh hey so things are on fire like i'm gonna be late at the office today because <laughs> right. um, that's that's actually what i was gonna ask you is like what what's your kind of like outage handling like how are the teams on fire how are your postmortems like how do you guys so i've mentioned it's an old project mm -hmm. <laughs> we've done Especially lately, we've done a lot of bug fixing, a lot of profiling, a lot of updating. And we're at the point where outages rarely happen. Um, so when they do, when they do, it's when the customers are using the site and, and, and it's getting hit hard. And, you know, memory will balloon and something will happen. And it's basically we'll be sitting there at 10 a.m. working and we'll go, oh, crap, we just got an alert. We, we you know, our, our memory threshold has been passed and, you know, our DBAs will be like, oh, yeah, look, all of these temp tables exploded and we've got we've got all this going on in the database. And we'll say, OK, all right. Let's restart our services. And that's basically all we all we ever really have to do is restart our services. And we have what we call a stealth bounce, which is we bring up a new version. And this is what I like about this. This is all I like about Java um, is that you can have two JVMs running next to each other, running the same jars, and it doesn't doesn't give you any issues over that. So our, our application, it comes up it slowly because it reads a lot from the database. It reads everything in from the database. It gets all ready. It does some preliminary checks to make sure everything's okay. And it gets ready to bind the port. And it tells the other one, hey, go die. And it dies. And then it binds the port. Nice. Um, and so there's only ever two or three seconds that it's actually out. And they're both operating on the same database. On the same database, yeah. on the same server, um, same VM. Um and it, it, it just it flips over pretty seamlessly. So that was the only thing you like um, about Java? The <laughs> I, I I don't like Java. I'm not a fan of Java. I, I don't find it very fun to write. I don't find the JVM very fun to deal with outside of being able to run two of them next to each other. Um, it, it can be it can be a bit of a pain, uh, especially when you're you're doing memory profiling. We've gotten deep into the you know the 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 two uh, I forget what they're called at this point the two memory spaces and then your old gen and then your perm gen um, and so when it does when it does the we're getting off DevOps here yeah, we are. <laughs> but, but when it does when it does a, a garbage collection all it does is it says okay what do we still have references to let's copy it over into our other main memory area and all of the other stuff we're just gonna we're gonna leave it there and overwrite it later. We're not even gonna clean it up. We're just gonna overwrite it later, and and so every time it garbage collects, it just moves the working memory over to the other side and abandons the old side, oh. and then objects that have been around long enough get copied over into old gen, the old generation, I guess that stands for. Um, and then and then every once in a while, it'll garbage collect that, and I forget how it does it. It might have two, two spaces there. And then when they've been there long enough, it goes into perm gen, which is permanent. It's all like musical pointers going on. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and so, so when you're trying to figure out, okay, where's my memory leak? And you're looking at all this. No, no, no. <laughs> then you begin to understand why I don't like Java. That's why you need an automated process. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, so. Um, Back to DevOps. Sorry about that. Back to DevOps, that. yeah. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, so I, I want to hit on a point like, you know, Daniel, did you guys start off with DevOps in mind? Or is it something you kind of transitioned into? Absolutely. So, well. Again, I'm. I envy you. 
Well, so I've, I've been where you're at, though. Okay. So I was He's a, not stuck with legacy code, though. I was, right. I was a Tomcat admin having to manage the Cassandra cluster database Oof. by myself, and I didn't write any of the code. Okay. So just right. to preface it, I, right. I've been there. You know. Yeah. You know. Fair. Um, but yeah, so I, I was actually very lucky in the sense that um, a lot of the lead devs that I work with um, had come from like companies like Nike, where they've been in these huge, massive deployment processes, and they're like, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so they've actually gone out and said, okay, hey, we're going to do DevOps, we're going to do automated stuff. And now that they're in a startup environment, it was like, okay, so from the get-go, we're doing these things because they work, and they're going to make us more successful. Right. So it's not just talk. Now you're like, this is actually working. You, you have a process now that's like amazing. Now, while you, Tim are trying to transition into that, right? right. And most companies, I'll, I'll tell you right now, we don't have anything compared to what you guys have, mm-hmm. Daniel, but we want to get there. You know, I know a lot, a lot of my colleagues are looking to use Docker, looking to do all this stuff because we have a, a database infrastructure in there that it's just one, hardware costs a lot of money. And then two is like the electric costs there, you know? And and I, I luck out a bit because, so we're on AWS's cloud and AWS has their own managed um, database service called RDS. There you go. So I can say, hey, you're multi-AZ, so you're going to be running in different data centers. You guys do automated backups. And all I have to do is connect my services to you because they're stateless and you guys handle all the hard stuff. Right. And you, and it's perfect. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> are you guys trying to also get there as well? Or? So we do a little bit of AWS. Um, we aren't using their container platform. What was that called again? ECS. ECS. We're not using that yet. Um we actually, for one of our customers, we spun up an OpenShift cluster in AWS, um, and then we didn't like it and we tore it down. We're not doing that anymore. But um, we do have um, a customer up there using our old school deployment strategies um, and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting. It's really interesting. And it's really cool. And I think, I think we're going to expand our operations in AWS because... We like it, um, but we're not. We, we're we. I think we have one customer in production in AWS right now. Yeah, and it takes time. You know, to, it does to transition does. from what you what the company is is very used to and what makes money mm-hmm. to like suck. So, it's handling technical debt. Like you guys, right. like, like you said earlier, you're like, we took the steps to handle all this stuff and the payoff was big. A lot of companies have other priorities most time, right? Right. Not to handle so, that kind of stuff. So to be fair, to be fair, it was a long fight to get the company to realize that this could help us. Yeah. And um, I, I see that in a lot of companies. There's a lot of companies that still look at IT as a cost center and not right. that fact right. that like you can, if you pump money here, it will help make every single one of your processes in your company faster, more efficient, and cheaper. And that's not even like a political slogan. That is right. so true. Oh, yeah. Right. You pump more money into IT and it'll trickle that out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean... I don't know. It's pretty hard to convince these guys sometimes, but what's what's really sad is that DevOps it's it's an umbrella term for all of these things we've been talking about, mm-hmm. and it's so new that unless you're a company that started up in the last five years, and I'm assuming that's about your company within roughly about five years, about yeah. five years. Yeah. So if you haven't started up within roughly that time you have to change all of your stuff to do DevOps, you right. know, finger quotes, DevOps, mm-hmm. right. Um, because it just didn't exist before, uh, especially with, with a company like mine. When you go back to generation one of our, uh, of our project was, what, 97, 98, something like that, in Java 2 or something, um, it's there's there's a lot that they've done over the years. They've done a lot of work and built a lot of uh, structure and convincing them to tear it all down and and say, look, there's something better out there before. And you you kind of have to like be be careful about it. You kind of have to massage their egos a little bit and be like, you did good work. Yes, you yeah. did good work. Yeah. But it's time for your work to the die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really hard to say that. And at, at some point, it will be a cost like savings. So absolutely, it, it is a cost absolutely. savings now. But absolutely. what I'm saying is like it, it's going to be more like it, an obvious cost savings where it's for like sure. we cannot sustain a data server 
at our, our place anymore. Like we have to transition to the cloud because it's so much more economical when if I need to spin up more servers and more load because we're getting hit by customers, I can do that on AWS, right? Right. You don't even actually do anything. You don't do anything. Oh, yeah. Right. It, it, it just does yeah, it. Right. It just does now, it. To preface that, until you get to be a very, very large customer, right. and you're going to have to call them and preload some stuff. And I'm sure they'll call you right before that. You can set up <laughs> alerts. But, I mean, that's, you know, people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on AWS bills per month kind of a scenario. Right. As opposed to maybe millions of dollars having their own data centers and right. having their own pipelines and things like that and infrastructure costs and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is all new. My company that I work for, we're, we have even, we're starting to get into the, that realm of using Docker, cloud services, and hopefully we may even spin up an internal DevOps team as well. We're not there yet, but we are trying to get there. So I'm personally opposed to DevOps teams. Um, the nature of it, to me, it, it screams don't put a team together to do specifically DevOps because then it's an operations team. Yep. It's not a DevOps team. Okay. And, and I've, I've been there. I've been, you know, on the DevOps team and it's two oh, yeah. operations guide guys <laughs> with all the other devs, right? That was my, my last uh, gig. And one of the things that, um, you know, we're, we're really small right now, the company I'm at. You know, we're the, the two pizza team size. Everybody can kind of, you know, mm -hmm. cross talk and everything right. like that. And we've struggled with trying to figure out, okay, how do we hire more people but not actually have the time to train them, like, to be one-on-one -on -one kind of situation. And what we've come up with is feature teams, which is kind of sounds like your deployment process where mm -hmm. like, hey, customer says, hey, we want this feature for this environment, whatever. So you grab a dev person, you grab an ops person, you grab like a front-end UI guy, or and you throw them all together on a team and you say, okay, here's your ticket. Go. Go. And they work that ticket all the way through production. One side benefit of that is that, you know, one, that ticket goes all the way through batch size of one. You still don't have anybody getting siloed. But two, you also have cross-training usually happening on that team. Right. So, like, the developer starts understanding how some of the operation stuff works and how some of the front-end stuff works. If you have a full-stack dev, same kind of thing. Right. Um, and then if you repeat that process enough and cycle those people on those teams, at some point you will end up with a team that actually has, like, overall higher-functioning knowledge of, of the entire process, like, from start to finish. That sounds like a great company. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like an amazing process, right? Right. Because now, now yeah. I don't have to get siloed into like the the one one part of this but, product or anything like that. I can work on with different teams and and different parts of the product. Yeah, and and the cool part about that is that that concept can also be used at larger companies too, because you don't need to have an entire automated pipeline. You know, but if you have the guy that's running these tests on Friday, and then you he's pairing with the developer directly. And trying to, you know, work that all the way through, like you can actually step, usually improve your deployment process like a lot faster and everything like that just by having those people together in a small environment. Right. So I, I realize that we're probably actually not much different in that in that regard. We have we have, you know, uh, a feature that needs to be coded and it goes to a developer and then it goes to, you know, our our support staff who does the, the manual testing for it. And they basically, they go back and forth and work the issue to its completion. I don't think it's that different from what you guys do. The, the, that being said, you have more technical people mm -hmm. and we have, we have support staff. And, and, and the key thing with all of this, though, is that once you've run into a problem or once you've encountered something and you're like, hey, this is taking too long or, hey, we can improve upon this, do it. Right. Like, don't just say, oh, hey, so I know this is a pain, but you just got to go in here. You got to change this one line, reboot the process. Okay, it works. We did a deploy. Now we're done. No, go spend the time. Yeah, it took longer for your task. Fix that problem. And if you keep doing iterative fixes, your whole process gets better. Better. Yeah. Every step of the way gets better. And your better. technical debt goes, goes way, way down. down. Yeah. yeah. I like that. And I, I fortunately, we're com coming up on time here. So I want to end on that note because it's one of those things that, you know, like you said, don't just do the one-off thing and it work, right? Work on that. Say, can I automate that process? So that way the next time around, it's not an issue and you just keep working on that. So, so I want to end this segment with a question I've been asking everyone that's been on the show and I'll ask you guys and you can go first, Tim. So okay. have you had any purchases of less than a hundred bucks that have changed your life recently? <sighs> recently purchases less than a hundred bucks. Yep. Changed my life. Or at, least ben or at least benefit or better your life. Nothing um, like that drastic. 
I think the closest thing and we're we're not talking about we're not talking about like, you know, work wise and all that, right? We can anything, anything. No, anything. All right. I it's still nerdy. Um a raspberry pie. Um, I, so I got myself one about six months ago. Nice. Those That's probably awesome. about when I got mine as well. Those, those things um, are awesome. So I have I have an aquarium. Um, it's a forty gallon. It's it's not much, but it's it's fun. And um, the the light is not good. Um, so I, I built one using those like those cheap little LED mm-hmm. um, strips strips that you can get online, and there's like nine dollar little controller boxes, right. you know. And it and it, it broke because they do. And so I got a Raspberry Pi, and I hooked it up. I, I brought the power supply from the light strip into uh, a little board that I put together, which is just a series of three um, transistors uh-huh. uh, is literally all that's on it. And I power these transistors with, um, with this, it's an eight volt input and I switch them on and off with the raspberry Pi using the GPIO pins. And I, um, it's an RGB led uh, strip. And so I can actually control the whole light from the raspberry Pi. And so I can do cool things like have it fade from one color to another. <laughs> and um, I, I, uh, I wrote a little um, storm mode so, like, it flashes lightning. <laughs> That's awesome. That um, is very cool. And, and so, like, it feels the, – the aquarium, oddly enough, feels more legit with this light on it. Um, and that's, that's, that's got to be my thing, you know. That's awesome. It's, it's the yeah. thing I'm most excited about. It was – Five. I got like the the Raspberry Pi um, zero. The zero. Double. Okay. 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 Yeah. That, and that's ten bucks yeah. right there. Yeah. 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 So. And so uh, I think I think that was the the thing for me. And, that's and cool. I'm writing a little Android app to go along with it, so I can control it from that. That's cool. I, I want to to um, see if I can get the uh, Google Assistant to do it, so I can talk to the Google Home. Android, because it's on it's Java. That's why, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, I I have to. <laughs> I, it's just because I have. An Android phone. Yeah, okay. That is an awesome um, pie project. It's, it's a really, it's a cool project. It is. Yeah, it definitely. Is. Are you, um, you thinking yeah. about putting that like online as a as a work like sure, blog thing? Sure. Um, I am. I'm definitely going to open source it at some point. Um, okay. I, I want to make sure that the code doesn't look really stupid before I do though. Spaghetti code. Um, <laughs> it's 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 pretty good now, but I want to I want to go back and, and double check things and make sure it doesn't. There's nothing really stupid in it. Um, and, and I do want to make it like initially feature complete. I want to, cause like, I want to track the weather and have it, you Oh, know, right, right, right. When, when a storm well, rolls in, you know, it dims or, and it starts flashing. Why, I mean, why you not? You match it to the circadian rhythms too. Yeah. So why, I mean, like, why not? Yeah. Like the sky's the limit. If you have it hooked up to a mini computer that you have you know, access to the internet. I have, I have a sunset and sunrise, um, uh, action. I have what are, what I called actions that, uh, it's, it basically it's fades. It's all fades. Um, even even the lightning is just a very quick fade from not all the way on to all the way on and back off. Okay. Um, so so these actions are just like scripted, like like series of fades back to back. And so I have a sunrise that goes to like a from like my my nighttime color to like a deep purple to a pink to an orange and eventually to a like a daylight color. And then and then sunset is the exact opposite of that. It runs the same thing in reverse. That's um, very cool. Man. And so I'm gonna very I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna have it look up sunrise and sunset and automatically do that. Get the weather data for the daily. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. So. Cool, man. So that all right. How about you, Daniel? So I'm I'm gonna cheat a little bit because it was multiple purchases underneath the hundred dollars. That's fine. Um, but I I Your got group purchase. Right. <laughs> group, group purchase is a little bit more than that. Um, but I ended up getting some uh, Echo Dots and a bunch of smart bulbs. I got one. And, yeah. And switches in the house. So I automated all of the lights in the house. So um, I can actually just sit in bed and just be like, good night, and it just kills. Everything. Yeah. I did the same thing when I get to my bedroom. I was I'm like. You know, turn off the living room. The, the, the biggest gone. thing for me, though, is, like, with the routines and everything, I set it up so, like, it kicks the lights on at, like, 25% max. Oh, you know, nice. 15 minutes before my alarm is supposed to go off. 10 minutes before it kicks it up to 50, 75, you know, 100. And it's it's made the whole, like, alarm clock scenario much, much better. Much easier. Yeah. yeah. 
So I, I have, I have the, like I said, I have the Google Home, and mm-hmm. um, I also have the Philips Hue, and I had some of that set up before, and I kind of tore it all down because my schedule changed, and I never set it back up. I should do that. Do that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a. That's good. There's a. Uh, there's another product that I haven't. I haven't looked into yet, but I heard about it from a friend of mine called Josh AI, which apparently is a whole home automation um, project, but similar to, but it's been called like a on steroids mm, okay. um, and it's supposed to be a lot better so I gotta I gotta look at that and see if I can integrate some stuff is it like like Jarvis Iron Man or something Kinda, like yeah <laughs> but it's, it's it's supposed to go like but I mean it's it's for houses that like they have smart shutters on the windows like the whole see, that's what I want like, eventually see, yeah, and yeah. That, that's my problem right now the only smart thing I have is the plug that hooks into this lamp in my living room that's it you know so it, it's a novelty for me right now but eventually I would like to automate a bunch of stuff and in doing that I need to start understanding the networking of all this stuff because that could have security vulnerabilities and things like that yeah I, you could really mess with someone that way oh yeah. absolutely yeah like, definitely you know if you have any of those multicolored bulbs <laughs> Right, and all of a sudden they start going off at one a.m. because neighbor's kid decided <laughs> Dude, that that would be that would be scary as hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> the good thing, yeah. the good thing about sure home networks, lockdown secure. Before you do that. <laughs> Definitely, the good thing about home networks is that typically, in order to expose something to the internet, you have to know what you're doing. You know, you need a port forward if or something. Have, yeah, that. if you have Comcast. None of your stuff is just exposed to the internet, you know. So, so that's good. But um, the NAT firewall protects a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it reminds me. There was that yeah. uh, that Disney movie a long time ago. I can't remember what it was called, but it was the smart home that did that did all the stuff for him, and then it went rogue and like trapped him inside or something. I can't. I don't that's like vaguely. I, 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 I'm vaguely, vaguely remembering that. something. Like I that. wish like I could remember what it was called. Day, yeah. It was. It was interesting though. Yeah. The the big thing I remember was they would they would ask for like a drink or something, and it would just like, whoosh, and then it would like emerge from the countdown. <laughs> We're not there yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's no. the only thing I remember about it. Well, they do have those pie based um, bartender machines. Yeah. So, you know, we're not that far off. No, no, no. <laughs> well, I want to appreciate you guys. Thank you so Thank much you for guys. coming and, uh, you know, informing me what DevOps is. Because I've had my definition for a while and I haven't really looked it up. But And, and clearly it's different for everyone. It is. Between me and him, it's it's different. It is you know? different. But that's the, basically the answer. It is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but there are very much uh, similarities yeah. there that you guys have discovered. So, you know, whether you're a small startup like Daniel's team here or a huge, huge corporation. And these guys are talking real world. Right. You are real, right. I mean, this is exactly. what you're actually doing. Yep. So, yeah. Exactly. This, this so. isn't someone, you know, saying, oh, DevOps is great. Look what you can do. And then yeah, people yeah. try to implement exactly. it and it doesn't right. work out that way. You guys want to plug in any <laughs> any social media stuff or anything at all? I don't have any. No? <laughs> How about you, Daniel? Uh, not really. I mean, okay. you can, you, my GitHub is ddanielr, and you can find some stuff there. Cool. Um, outside of that, I kind of generally stay off Twitter. I have a read-only Twitter. Fair enough. Fair enough. I have a friend who does the same thing. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, thanks for having us. Thanks. You know, till next time. See you guys. Take care.